You are tuned in to Lightworkers Lounge, tales of having a human experience in a spiritual world. For those of you who don't know, I wrote a book called It's Just a Phase, Journaling with the Moon. I have a whole section in it about fertility and the moon, which a lot of ladies have really enjoyed. I got to marry my two passions, holistic health coach and astrology. While it's just a phase is a journal that you handwrite your experiences in with the phase of the moon, I wanted to record the audiobook. And normally what we do when we self-publish books, audiobooks, ebooks, is we go through Amazon or another self-publishing person and they put it all online and you can either get the audiobook for free or like 99 cents but you still have to purchase it and I thought you know what I'm going to give the audiobook out for free I'm going to read you guys my book it's just a phase an interactive astrology workbook because not only do you have to purchase it if you want to get the full value out of it so that you can actually write down what you're feeling and be able to reflect and look back on it every month when the moon makes its transit through all the signs. But I just thought that the information in it was really good. And for those of you who can't afford the copy or for those of you who just feel like you get more information out of audiobooks or podcasts, I thought, you know what, let's do this. Let's not make it all official and get all the professional studio sound. Let's just read the audiobook to you guys and see what you get from it because it's just a phase journaling with the moon. I personally, every astrologer has their own interpretation, but I personally think that the moon is more important than your sun sign. There's a saying in astrology that if you want to know the importance of how planets affect you, look in the sky. Don't listen to anybody. Don't read anything. Look up. <laughs> look up. Look into the sky. What do you see every single day? The sun. Of course, we literally plan our days and our schedules and work around the sun, going up, going down. But what's the other thing that we plan a lot, that we have intimate moments under, that we look at, take pictures of? I mean, everybody from every religion, background, gender, age will stop and take a picture or at bare minimum, just look at a full moon rising. It really catches your eye. And so the moon next to the sun is, in my opinion, the most important sign to know both in your personal birth chart, but also one to just pay close attention to. You know, we always know it's Scorpio season and coming up it's Sagittarius season. We always pay attention to those, right? The sun seasons. But the moon is just as, if not more important. The sun sign is your head. It's your ego. The moon is your heart and your soul. The sun represents who you are out in the world. Oh, that's Steph. You know her. She's got that Taurus voice. She's got a pug. She laughs. She says some things with her foot in her mouth. She's a Sag. You just know her. But to people who know me intimately, for those who I talk to every day or those who get to live with me, they would say, yeah, we see that Sagittarius, but this girl is a Scorpio. She loves alone time. She's kind of a recluse. She'll definitely be the life of the party, but when she's done, she is done and you won't see her for a few days because she's Scorpio in her inner world. Emotions, they're everything. 
right? So many of us, for whatever various reasons, we feel like people don't see us. They don't truly understand us for who we are. And then we kind of become the character that people curate of us and we lose our sense of who we are. The moon is always the sign. It's always the placement that I say, okay, when you're feeling a little lost, when you're feeling like people don't see or understand you, go to your moon, your moon sign. What does this person need to feel emotionally safe, emotionally grounded? When shit hits the fan, how does this person emotionally react? What do they need? That's the moon sign. So I'm going to read you guys my book, It's Just a Phase, Journaling with the Moon. If you like what you hear and you are obsessed with the moon like I am and you are ready to understand the phases of the moon, which is what sign that the moon is moving into, make sure you grab the hard copy so you can handwrite, highlight, circle things, get a lot out of it, have it to always flip back to as you study and memorize the moon's transits at Amazon.com. Remember, it's just a phase journaling with the moon by Stephanie Powers. As with all podcasts, all books, all things spiritual, religious, self-help, you got to remember the content of this book is for entertainment and informational purposes only. The advice in this book is not intended to replace or interrupt the reader's relationship with a licensed health professional. The information you're about to hear is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Everything you're about to hear is for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I think I add that to every podcast episode just to let you know, like, hey, informational purposes only. You are always in control. You know, with astrology, it's a weather forecast. That's all it is. I I don't believe in that's a bad placement or ooh, that's a tough transit. Of course, you can apply those theories, but how do you look at it? You could look at a string of gray, rainy days coming up on your weather forecast for where you live, and you have two choices. You can look at that and say, oh, I'm going to be so depressed. I'm going to be so bored. I'm going to sit around. It's going to make me so shitty. Or you can say, I love gray days. I'm going to ride it out. I'm going to do gray day things like stay inside and read a good book. Spend 12 hours making one loaf of sourdough bread. I'm going to do warm, cozy things to enjoy that season and embrace it, right? That's all astrology is. That's it. A weather forecast. So here is It's Just a Phase, Journaling with the Moon by Stephanie Powers. Chapter one, the intro. I think I was eight years old when I began thumbing through the Sunday paper, throwing the coupon section over to mom and searching for the hidden treasure amongst thin pages of black and white text. My horoscope. Will my crush like me back this week? Will I make new friends? Will I go on an adventure somewhere far away this year? I couldn't wait to find out. Astrology is the study of the stars. And how romantic does that sound? Aside from the whimsical romanticism of studying the night sky, I can't say exactly why I'm drawn to it. It's just something that has always felt right to me. Is it that the career point, the MC, midheaven in my chart, is an Aquarius, which rules astrology? Perhaps. But most importantly, a lot of people turn to astrology when they feel knocked off of their divine purpose, when they're lost and in need of a map home, me being one of them. In my prior job as a health coach, I used to tell my clients, you know how to eat healthy, you know you need to drink water and exercise, so why aren't you doing it? You're born knowing your purpose, at least I think you are. 
knowing what you love, knowing what mark you came to leave on this world. That feeling never leaves you, so why aren't you doing it? Somewhere along the way, during our most formative years, society, family, the media, they all shoot arrow after arrow of influential energy that stacks continuous barriers between your mind and your soul, and you start to forget. You forget who you are because you're conditioned to wrap your identity around being something, someone, a sister, a daughter, a wife, a mother, a brother, a son, a husband, a father, anything but you, but your unique self. And then this forgetfulness manifests as anxiety, depression, operating from an external locus of control, affecting everything from your career to your relationships, and down, down, down we go. I find a lot of people who study the stars have anxiety. It's true. I used to have anxiety so crippling, I convinced myself I had a brain tumor and couldn't drive and never would drive again. Anxiety is a fear of the future. It's built up energy from the powerful thoughts of feeling like you aren't in control of what's going to happen. Feeling like you're not in control of anything that's happening. I was a child who didn't have a lot of stability growing up. It's no wonder I reach for the stars. I was so desperate for anything to tell me how the movie ends so I knew what to expect and could brace myself. Now, as an astrologer, I find it funny that I haven't read my personal horoscope in years. It just doesn't appeal to me in the way that it used to. I just don't even think of it. It's also because at 33, I finally learned some practical ways to use my anxiety as a superpower rather than a burden. It's important to get clear with ourselves on why we are studying astrology before we dive too deep into it, because as with everything in life, too much of anything can be a bad thing. Astrology is a beautiful way to predict the weather, but it should not be something you center your entire life around. Let it be a tool, not a foundation. Your birth chart is a screenshot of where all the planets were in the sky the moment you were born, the first breath you filled your new lungs with. Where was the moon? Where was the sun? What sign was Venus transiting through? This is what your natal birth chart will reveal. I want to preface this workbook with the idea that astrology requires you to practice non-attachment. It's silly to imagine that we could categorize our entire human species into 12 signs. To each sign, each house, each planet, there is a high road and a low road, an evolved and an unevolved side. There's two ways everything can go. This is why no two Scorpios are the same, and why one Aries is wild, athletic, extroverted, and one hasn't touched a ball or left their house. I want to reiterate as well that there is no such thing as a bad placement in astrology. Of course, there are easy and difficult placements, but I often find people with quote-unquote difficult placements in their natal chart tend to enjoy some of the richest emotional rewards that life can offer, like the happiest, most optimistic elder you've ever met who has seen more death and heartache than you can imagine, but they chose to turn it into an appreciation for all of the little things in life. And so as a result, they very rarely let themselves sulk in sadness because they understand that there are little keys of happiness all around them every day. 
We would never know the ecstasy of joy if we haven't experienced the depths of pain. Everyone's birth chart is unique to them, like a thumbprint. Some people will enjoy having a Leo moon, being the life of the party, and love any occasion to have friends and family over. While others with a Leo moon, who, say, were raised in a household where they were not free to express themselves, will be just the opposite, shy, introverted. Even in the case of twins with identical birth charts, they could have different personalities dependent upon how they perceive the world and the life events around them and whether or not they chose to paddle upstream with their chart or flow with the current they were dealt. Twins have the same exact placements in their chart, especially if they were born within minutes of each other. But every single placement, transit, house, planet, sign, has a fork that you can choose to go left or right, empowered, disempowered. No two people, whether they are twins or not, will constantly take the same path. This is where we can pull nature versus nurture into the conversation as well. With this workbook, keep an open, flexible mind. Take a deep breath in and long exhale before you dive in. Repeat a few times until you feel grounded. Should you proceed in this workbook with intuition up and judgment down, be prepared to call yourself out, to really gaze at who you've become in this metaphorical mirror. Be prepared to cry, have deep realizations and sudden epiphanies. Prepare to shed a layer, or four, of your current personality in a matter of just 30 days. I suppose this book will be like a psychological, spiritual cleanse. Chapter two, who are you taking information from? I think it's important to know who we take information from, especially in today's age of overabundance and people becoming self-proclaimed gurus and specialists having no formal education or earth-shattering transformations. One of my podcast episodes called Toxic Psychology on Instagram is still one of our most downloaded. Projecting. Ever heard of it? This is when someone is giving advice based off of their past experiences, whether consciously or subconsciously, and we all do it. It's quite natural and normal. You're projecting right now as you read this. I'm projecting right now as I write this. Everything you've been through, the trauma, the happy times, they're all influencing how you perceive the text in this book. What will you remember and what will blow in the wind? Your subconscious combined with all of your past experiences will decide. Authors, podcasters, teachers, they are all projecting information from their own past experiences that may not match what you've been through or where you're going. It's all about the vibration each teacher is sending out. Does it match yours? you'll often find that your life may mirror the life of your favorite spiritual guide because you will often share the same frequency due to similar past experiences. You know, this is in the book. I'm just going to put the book down and mention it because it's like pouring out of my mouth to say, but I have this rule with myself that if someone offers a masterclass, that word, masterclass, I automatically throw up the red flag and say, no. And that doesn't mean I don't like the person who is teaching it and offering it, quite the contrary. But to master something, should we pull up the definition of this? What does it take to master something? What does it take to 
It takes anywhere from six to 10 years to get great at something, depending on how often and how much you do it. Some estimate that it takes 10,000 hours to master something, but I think it varies from person to person. This was from zenhabits.net. But look at that. Six to 10 years. Think of a master's degree in university, right? It takes six years to get a master's degree in a specific subject. And even though you have the education of a master's degree to truly be well-rounded enough to charge a lot of money, hundreds of dollars from people to teach them, don't you think you would need six to 10 years in the field with your education to, you know, the classroom is one thing, but the real world is another thing. And so I want to take a master class on relationships from someone who's been married or someone who's older. They don't have to stay married, but if they have 40 to 50 years of relationship experiences, breakups, divorces, or staying together, talking about what it takes to stay with someone, that's who I want to take a master class from. I, um, just on the internet, you see people in their twenties offering a master class. And if that does not make your hair stand up on the back of your neck, I, I don't know what will. Um, and again, this is not saying these people are not gifted or have some sort of talent and something that they can offer, but I personally would not invest time, money into it because what you're getting is simply an, an entertainment. You're getting entertained. You're going on a retreat to get entertained and just have an experience. You're not getting practical tools to evolve and change your life for the better. Plain and simple. Back to the book. After over 1 million downloads and 250 plus episodes of my podcast, Lightworkers Lounge, I've come to find that I can have some of the most world-renowned, highly talented guests, but some reason their downloads won't hold a candle to someone who may be less well-known but pours energy and soul into their message. Someone who emanates the frequency of a healer rather than a teacher. They will almost always be a crowd your guys' favorite. They've usually been through some shit. They're usually a lot older, but this is just what I've come to notice in the years of being on Lightworkers Lounge. We've all been through some shit, but how we choose to alchemize it or turn that poison into medicine will greatly influence our teaching and communication style. That's why I'd like to share a little bit about who I am, where I come from, so you know what angles I'm projecting at you from. I'm what you'd call a quote-unquote military brat without ever having any family member in the military. I've moved around the United States so frequently in my life. When people ask me where I'm from, I simply smile with a smirk. Smile with a smirk. I simply say with a smirk, Earth. I was born in southern Indiana, raised in New Hampshire, attended university everywhere from Las Vegas to Miami. I spent my first marriage in the Carolinas and fulfilled my dreams of living in the Florida Keys a few times. There have even been stints in Colorado, Texas, and even a motorhome all over the country for a year. I truly don't know what culture I most resonate with. Is it the East Coast attitude or is it the West Coast chill? Is it New England or the South? It's beautiful liberating and oh so free to my Sagittarius soul. I have been blessed to spend winters in the Caribbean and summers in the San Juan Mountains. As lucky as I've been though, it can really leave one feeling as though they don't fit in or belong anywhere. I have struggled greatly, honestly, with loneliness and isolation as a result. 
It's like being on the playground at recess. When the bell rings, we line up with the other kids in our class, our family, and we all have a classroom, a hometown, assigned to us where we go to continue our day. Only I'm the kid on the playground that doesn't have a classroom. And because I spend so much time alone at recess, skipping on the lectures inside, I don't have any classmates either. While everyone returns to their assigned rooms with their assigned families, I aimlessly wander the empty halls, occasionally peeking through the glass into a classroom door, wondering what it's like to have a desk and a cubby to call my own. I was raised by a single mother. She is so loving and powerful that I never missed having a male figure in my life. My biological father struggles with alcoholism, amongst other mental health issues, and I have never had a relationship or known him. In fact, the word dad or father feels like a foreign word rolling off my lips. I've had to retrain the muscles in my tongue to pronounce it because they are so weakened by never voicing it. My mother never remarried. Some decent men came in and out of my life, but were usually gone as soon as they came. None of them taught me anything about harnessing the power of masculinity. I've struggled with being financially independent, with setting boundaries, standing brave in the face of conflict as a result. My mother sure tried her best, though. In fact, I would say she is probably 90% masculine and 10% feminine. A true phoenix, she went from raising us alone on welfare to securing her master's degree and showering us with abundance. To this day, I've never met anyone with tenacity and patience like her. Inheriting my Aquarius mother's dominant masculinity traits, shortly after college, I married an Aquarius boy I met in third grade and moved to the Carolinas with our two cats and nothing else. We knew no one. As a way to block the heavy influence of people who just wanted the best for us but didn't want us to go, we lied to our family and friends saying, oh, we have jobs down there waiting for us. We didn't. We lied and said we had savings to last until we found jobs. We didn't. We moved down there with a very little money, no family support. We simply knew it was the right thing to do for us. And as it does, the universe provided. Within a week of arriving to Charlotte, North Carolina, we both had full-time jobs with great benefits. North and South Carolina, because we live right on the border, will always be a safe haven and spiritual sanctuary for me. While this chapter of life felt very safe and certain, I also went through some of the darkest, loneliest years of my life. A true dark night of the soul, if you will. It wasn't even a year of us living in Charlotte that I'd received a diagnosis at a routine checkup that would change my life forever. I was diagnosed with hyperthyroid, severe hyperthyroidism, and the autoimmune disease Hashimoto's. The endocrinologist I was referred to told me I wouldn't be able to conceive a child without medical intervention and asked if I wanted to remove my entire thyroid the following week. My weakened intuition was usually a faint whisper, but in this moment, it was a piercing roar. I knew all of those statements were exaggerated and intuitively knew this health issue was more energetic than it was physical. That day was the biggest wake-up call of my life. Aside from my then-husband, I had no one to share this news with. And seeing as I worked from home, I had no co-workers to talk to either. At the time, my brother was recently diagnosed with chronic epilepsy, and my mother was so caught up both physically, emotionally helping him, I didn't want to bother her. 
It was through forced isolation and self-reflection after the diagnosis that I came to the difficult realization. I was living my life completely wrong, backwards, paddling upstream against who I really was at my core. If my birth chart said go right, I was running full speed to the left. I had followed what everyone else expected of me. The safe route. The route of easy acceptance by others. People pleasing because life never felt safe or certain growing up. People in my life. Places where we lived. It was always a matter of when, not if, they would inevitably disappear. Four years later, I naturally healed my autoimmunity without any Western medical intervention. Feeling inspired and empowered by this, I decided to take the biggest risk of my life. Leave the predictable corporate nine to five and become a certified holistic health coach working for myself. I published my first book called Thyroid First Aid Kit to share how I healed myself with nothing but diet and lifestyle changes. It's still selling in multiple countries to this day. My then husband and I moved to Denver, Colorado in November 2017. The crippling anxiety had all but melted away. I was in love with my new career as a health coach. I felt really empowered working for myself, but I still felt as though I was paddling upstream in one of the biggest areas of life. Just five short years into our marriage, I found myself taking a separate car to a courthouse, trailing behind a man I thought I knew to file for a divorce. That man was who I considered to be my best friend. We got on so well and practically grew up together. We never fought, which I used to wear like a badge of honor, but I quickly realized that conflict in a relationship is a sign of health, if not a necessity. Healthy conflict means you are continuously setting boundaries, avoiding codependence, and sharing what makes you happy and what doesn't, keeping the relationship alive and thriving. We never did any of that. We were just two kids, trauma, bond, trauma bonded to the silent safety of one another. So on a warm spring morning, when he walked 10 feet ahead of me and let the door to the courthouse slam in my face, I knew it was a good run. But this, this moment right here is why it has to end. We signed the final papers for the divorce on the exact day of our five-year wedding anniversary, June 1st, the day my Saturn return began. Where one relationship ends, another always begins. Where one person is excused from a seat at our table, a new, better aligned person will inevitably always come to sit down. It was around this same time that I met one of my best friends, Paulina, through the most serendipitous moment at a dog park early one cold January morning. It was her who introduced me to my moon and rising sign, and I was hooked both on her astrology knowledge, and but the effortless connection that I had never felt with a friend before. With each cup of tea she'd made me in her apartment, I felt so nurtured. It seemed like such a simple, cordial thing to do, but I had not had any socialization in years. This was such a treat for me, my slow re-entry into the world of being social and having friends. Every week, as I left my top floor apartment and hopped down the stairs in my socks to her first floor apartment, we would cozy up and talk about our birth charts, our families, the charts of men we've loved, and watch our dogs play. As I was enduring the awkward, slow burn of splitting up from someone I had known for over a decade, 
Walking into the safety of Pao's apartment, I finally felt something I hadn't felt in years. I felt home. I felt safe. By age 29, I was officially divorced, living out of an old Subaru I purchased on a whim as a result of the divorce, and bouncing between Telluride and Key West, Florida. I was in the worst financial situation of my life. Nowhere near where someone about to enter their 30s should be, but living in two of the most exquisite areas in the country. When I tell you, anything is possible. Although I was not monetarily abundant, Airbnb hopping with people I don't remember, those were some of the happiest days of my life. I felt so free, finally on track with me. I finally stopped running left and was turning my head to the right, lacing up my sneakers, getting ready to go. It was then that I created Lightworkers Lounge. The high I felt in leaving the wrong marriage quickly diffused into the reality of all the healing that lay in front of me as a result. I have a dog. I do not have a home. And I am years away from securing a steady stream of income with my new business. What the fuck have I got myself into, I thought. As the dust from the explosion of divorce started to settle, I thought I would be able to just sweep it all away and instantly be met with a beautiful, clean home that had gardenias growing around the white picket fence, paired with a perfect partner who reads my mind and caters to my every want and need. But all I could see was a war-torn village. Everything burned to the ground with some ashes still ablaze. Sure, my heart was free, but with the realization that divorce is caused by two people, not just one, now I knew it was time to clean up and rebuild. Kind of forgot about that part. So with embarrassment, at 29 years old, I moved back into my old childhood bedroom with my mother in New Hampshire. Tail tucked firm between my legs, I promised myself I would temporarily rest here to financially, but most importantly, emotionally recuperate and heal from the divorce. I went to yin yoga classes every Thursday night at the base of a mountain. I attended monthly women's full moon circles, which drastically inspired my love for the stars and their potent healing power too. And of course, I immersed myself in weekly therapy sessions. It was a sad yet transformative time for me. I was introduced to parts of myself I never knew, both good and bad. I was reminded of the importance of community and connection. I never thought I would say this, but sometimes I miss those cold days in New England of healing because I really grew into who I am today. Although I wasn't making a dime from it, I treated Lightworkers Lounge as though it was my full-time job during this time. I would literally create a fake time card and clock in at 9 a.m. and clock out at 5 p.m., taking an hour lunch break in the middle. My audience was a mere 25 people downloading my episodes every week, but giving this much energy to it and trusting the universe, it started to grow by nearly 2,000 people every few days. It reached heights I never once imagined it would or could. Eight months into my stead at mom's, I was financially back on my feet and emotionally ready to get back out there. I drove across the country to Telluride, eager to spend a summer in the San Juan Mountains. It was as beautiful as you'd imagine. After that, I felt confident enough to take another chance at making my Florida Keys dream come true. Sure enough, by following strong synchronicities, I did 
end up living in an old tree house and the Keys for the fall and winter seasons of 2019. To this day, it was one of the happiest, luckiest chapters of my life. I did what everyone told me I could never do, but what I always knew was right for me. While I lived in the Sunshine State, fulfilling my dream of being a permanent resident of the Keys, something happened I never saw coming. I fell in love with a man from Texas. I'm still not sure what's more odd about it. The fact that I found someone who checks off all the boxes I've ever had and constantly challenges me to become better, or that he's from Texas. With a Scorpio moon that matches mine, I knew from the moment we ruined our friendship with a kiss, it was game over. In February the following year, I reluctantly packed up my clothes in a trash bag, left the treehouse, and headed to Austin, Texas. The thousands of followers I amassed through sharing my personal life and my journey on Instagram were sending me messages of hesitation, wondering why I would leave the thing I worked so hard for. But what I didn't share was things at the treehouse started to get tough, like real tough. I was working with no Wi-Fi, using a hotspot to upload podcast episodes. My laptop's motherboard broke down from the salty sea air getting inside of it. And although I was slowly saving up enough for an apartment, the cost of living down in the islands was increasing faster than my income was. After a long four months of washing dishes in a tiny bathroom sink, having a shower that only stays warm for a couple of minutes, and cooking all of my food outside with mosquitoes swarming me, I started to crave modern amenities. The thought of, with the income I was currently making, I could easily afford an apartment somewhere up in the mainland really started to eat at me. With I started to imagine a giant garden bathtub and working kitchen sink without bugs. I started to seriously weigh my options of living in the Keys. The Keys were definitely my dream, but not in a tiny treehouse in someone's backyard that didn't have a sink to wash dishes in. My partner visited me a few times, and he often mentioned how wild it was that I was running an entire community from an environment like that. I knew in that moment it was time to go. When you combine the chemical concoction of new love with the desperation for living in a modern world, you get an island girl driving to Texas, tears as salty as the ocean streaming down her face, bidding farewell to the dream she just can't seem to hold tight enough to keep forever. But I knew it wasn't goodbye. It was be right back. Life with him has been both everything I've ever wanted and everything I didn't know I wanted. Our life together is chock full of adventure, soul development, and most of all, passionate love, only fit for the movies. I've never had anyone support my dreams as much as he has, and as if you couldn't have guessed, we eventually left Texas and moved back to Florida. This time in a real house with bedrooms, a bathtub, a kitchen sink, lavish abundance. Feeling more settled and aligned than ever I have in my life, I decided to take Deborah Silverman's Applied Astrology course to further my studies. I completed level two when I decided it was time to go live and give birth chart readings via Zoom a shot. The moon sign was always, and still is, my favorite. It rules our emotional selves, and I believe that is the control center for absolutely everything we do. It's so powerful. Although it's not the easiest placement for one to have, I have my moon in Scorpio, and I thoroughly believe it to be the best part about me. I'm fiercely loyal. 
I don't get triggered by much because of that Scorpio thirst for psychology and understanding. And yes, I will go to the grave with both my own and your secrets. So there you have it. The energy behind the words you are about to read. So can you guess my big three by that short autobiography? I'm a Sagittarius sun, a Scorpio moon, and a Taurus rising. My Mercury is also in Sagittarius, conjunct my sun almost to the degree. So throughout this workbook, it will be all about the big picture, the forest. But it will be your job to decode the trees. In the next episode, we will dive into chapter three, the moon. So make sure you tune in so you can hear all about what the moon means in your birth chart, what your specific moon sign means, and also what it means as we monitor and watch the sky and watch the moon switch signs every two to two and a half days and how that can affect the emotional climate here on earth. It's absolutely amazing, guys, when you apply like, oh, the moon is in Aries right now. So look around you. People are laying on their horns, agitated, irritated, or a lot of people around you are starting new projects, starting new things, quitting a job they no longer like, leaving a relationship. They just feel more confident and feisty. Ah, when the moon is in a water sign, Cancer, Scorpio, Pisces, we notice everyone around us is just so sluggish or depressed or just sad. Everyone's just emotional today. What is going on? Or you're able to connect with complete strangers in the grocery store during a water moon. It's fascinating. And I think right now the collective is really heavy. And so I, I just, I've got to get this book out to you guys. I've got to share the moon sign to hopefully put a dent in the world and the collective so that people can understand what we're up against or what we're working with here. And most of all, how to control their own emotional world to domino affect it in the collective. So thank you for listening to the first half of the audiobook version of It's Just a Phase, Journaling with the Moon. Stay tuned for the next episode where we dive into the moon. I'll see you then. Yeah.